So today is the last sermon in the series, The Light in the Darkness. And we have, throughout the summer, we've been looking at how the scriptures call us as a church to be the light in the midst of darkness. And today, what I want to do is just talk for a minute about this, this idea of darkness and what it represents. When we say darkness, what do we mean? Are we just describing what it feels like to have a bad day? Or is it more than that? Is there a spiritual component to the darkness around us? And so what I want to do is just start there, and then we're going to move into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So what we understand is that the darkness in the world around us is the result of a fallen world. Okay, and so what we mean by that is, in the beginning, God created the world uh, as a very good creation. And what broke the world, or what tilted the world towards darkness, is the rebellion and the sin of man. God comes to Adam in chapter 2 of Genesis and says, Adam, here is the rule. Do not eat from this tree. And it's not just any tree, it's a significant tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, or you might say light and darkness, because up until that point, Adam only had the knowledge of what was good. He could see good all around him. So he knew what was good, but he didn't know what was not good. And so what happens in the very next chapter, chapter three, Adam and Eve rebel. They break God's law, they sin. And in that sin, what happens is is more than just a slap on the wrist, it fractures creation, okay? Fractures the relationship between God and man. It fractures the relationship between Adam and Eve. They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. God comes to Adam and Eve and says, all right, guys, it's, it's happened. You have sinned. And so now enters into the world death. And this cloud of death, the darkness of death, has, has covered the world. Every generation, every human being was born into a broken, fallen world that is acquainted now with death acquainted now with darkness, okay? And so when we think of it that way, so not only is the world broken and we we are born into this broken world, but there's an enemy. God has an enemy, right? We know that Satan uh, is continually, perpetually, constantly seeking to devour the glory of God in his reflection in human beings, his image in us, and so that God's enemy is seeking to kill and to steal and to destroy us. We're starting with the bad news today, by the way. That's heavy, isn't it? But we don't, we, we, we know that that's how the Bible describes the world that we live in, but our very existence, right, gives testimony to this being true, right? Just, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll pull up my, my news app. Just some headlines from today, August the 2nd. Some Americans wait without pay for COVID-19 test results. Avoiding, this is another one, avoiding care during the pandemic could mean life or death. Florida feels the rain and winds of tropical storm Isaias. Southern California wildfires force thousands to evacuate. Right, we just, every day, you, you pull up your newsfeed, you're gonna get this kind of indication that something isn't right here. Right, and so suffering, or the idea of suffering, the idea of living in darkness is really normal. We keep talking about, I can't wait to get back to normal. But there is no normal of human existence that is not impacted by suffering and darkness. And so today we're gonna to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter four in verse one. Now we've covered the first six verses of chapter four a couple of weeks ago. We're just gonna highlight a couple of those verses. Then we're gonna read the rest of the chapter together. So chapter four in 2 Corinthians four, uh, excuse me, yeah, verse one in 2 Corinthians chapter four begins this way. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
And so that's the title of our sermon today. We do not lose heart. And so in order for that phrase to mean anything to you and to me, we have to first understand the temptation to lose heart, right? We have to first understand the difficulty of not losing heart. Verse 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I want to just highlight the, the interesting wording here. Did you notice how he doesn't say, For God who said, Let the light shine into darkness? But he says, what? Instead, the light will shine out of darkness. And as he says that, he's talking about you and me in our role in the fallen world. So instead of God shining darkness from the outside in, that somehow you and I are going to serve as these lights within the darkness, and the light's going to shine from within the darkness. What an interesting way to think about it. In John chapter 16... Verse 33, listen to what Jesus says. This is John chapter 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a pretty strong statement. Jesus is speaking to his followers and he does not say, hey guys, this may come up occasionally. Maybe there's just some of you who are going to face really difficult times. That's not what he says. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So even in Jesus' words, he speaks with certainty about the tribulation, the sufferings, the difficulties, the trials that you and I will face in this world. As citizens of the fallen world, you and I encounter darkness on a daily basis. Now, on some level, um, we are, um, if you will, kind of prepared for it from birth. Like we come into the world, things are hard. That's why we're screaming and crying. The lights are too bright. The room is too cold. I'm too hungry. I don't like these smells. Like even before we can articulate our discomfort in the world and our suffering in the world, we're feeling it and we're screaming. Some of us more than others. Right? We, but our entrance into the world is not warm and cozy and fuzzy and all this parental bonding. Like it's just like, whoo, how do I get this thing to shut up? I was thinking about this this week and just recently one of our family members, my niece who's three years old, was diagnosed with um, cancer, both leukemia, lymphoma, and also cancer in her spinal cord, three years old, okay? She has no real concept of what's happening right now in her body, doesn't. All she knows is when you take me to the doctor, the doctor gives me medicine, the medicine makes me feel really, really, really bad, I don't wanna go to the doctor. Just suffering. But according to what the Bible says, her suffering didn't begin with the cancer diagnosis, it began at birth, she was born into a fallen, broken world. The world around her is fallen and broken. The body that she was given is fallen and broken. Guess what? So is yours. Even without a cancer diagnosis, you bear evidence of a fallen, broken world. 
And so Paul starts, verse one, therefore having this ministry of mercy, we do not lose heart. Why? Because every day we are gonna be tempted to lose heart. The things we're experiencing right now as a culture, I'm 44, I've never seen anything like this. Like it's like the whole, at least the American culture is on edge right now. I mean, just one more thing away from losing it, right? Conflict is like just one more thing. I hear one more thing and I'm ready to just explode. The counseling ministry right now, dealing with anger, dealing with frustration, me dealing with it in my own heart. Like it's just, right? It's all around us. And so Paul's words come to us in a very timely way because I want to ask Paul, so how do I not lose heart? If suffering is inevitable, inevitable, the world has fallen and broken, the body we've been given has fallen and broken, how do we not lose heart? Because I'm tempted, sometimes on a daily basis, to lose heart. Verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now from a biblical perspective, as we take on the topic of suffering, we're gonna find a lot of things that God does in and through our suffering, good things. Okay, the Bible talks often about the redemptive work that God does in us through suffering. So today, our focus is not so much the work that God is doing, but this idea that we've been called to not lose heart and how we don't lose heart, okay? It's one thing to know, okay, this is really hard, but I know God's doing something good through it, and that's helpful. But where Paul is going today is he's gonna talk about where our help comes from, where our courage comes from, that we might be a people who do not lose heart. And so I wanna start with verse seven. He says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's kind of a metaphor here. So first of all, what's the treasure and then what's the jar of clay? So the treasure, he's just mentioned, right? He says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. And all throughout our passage today, he's gonna be hinting around about this treasure that we have, something inside of us, this, this gospel treasure that even though I am unworthy and unlovely, God loves me anyway, loves me so much that he sends his son into the world to die for my sins, to resurrect from the dead, to redeem me, to call me his own, and to give me eternal life. I have this in me. And Paul here says, that's a treasure. In the world around you, where even the shiniest things will disappoint you, you have a treasure that's not found in this world this treasure that is contained in the jar of clay. Let's talk about the jar of clay for just a minute because that's you and me. Now, this is not a fancy vessel that has been crafted to be put on a shelf that's to be looked at and admired. This is basically a dirt bucket. 
Your life, my life, and specifically I think he's talking about the frailty of our bodies, is like a jar of clay. Not a metal bucket, not a bucket of gold or silver or bronze. Now think about that. While a jar of clay can be useful, it's incredibly fragile. Knock that bad boy over and it's going to chip, chip the lip or crack or fracture or come apart and be rendered useless. It only has so much life in it. And he's using this to describe our bodies. Our mortal bodies are like jars of clay. What's inside of us is, is a treasure. But this body that houses this treasure, he calls a jar of clay. Matter of fact, later on, he's going to say in this passage, your outer self that jar of clay, is wasting away. Ouch! I knew I was getting old, Paul, but come on! Right? I mean, even, like we said, even without a severe or significant medical diagnosis, our bodies bear the evidence that these things aren't going to last forever. Right? 44, I don't have what I used to. My knees are reminding me in the morning. Not going to be around forever. You can't count on me for forever. This body is constantly, constantly headed towards what? Death. And so if there's nothing inside of this body that matters, nothing inside of this body that is eternal, where's our hope come from, church? Your best hope is to make the best of the days that you have. Eat, drink, and be merry, because if there's no hope beyond this, beyond this life, make the best of it. That's not where Paul's going to point us today. He says, listen, church, let me describe what you're going through in this fallen, broken world. Here's how he describes it. He says, we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, and we are struck down. It's like he had a little crystal ball and he was looking at 2020. And what's interesting about this list is that the first two really are, are talking about an internal conflict and the second two have to do with what's on the outside. Look at, the, look at these words with me. So the first word he says is afflicted. That's the idea of feeling squeezed or pressured. So whatever is going on in your life, right, that internal conflict of, of just feeling like the world's pressing in around you, that's affliction here. The second word is perplexed. This is the idea of feeling like you have no way out or to be at a loss mentally, like I can't can't find hope. I can't figure out how, how to get out of this situation. So put those together. I'm feeling the pressure internally and, and it feels so despairing that I've lost hope and I don't know how to get out of it, which I think would encompass a lot of things that we feel on a daily basis. You could just throw like depression in here. That's a good description of depression. Just to feel like you're mentally at a loss and you have no idea how to turn things around. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety, that pressure, just physical and, and mental and emotional pressure. Shame, loneliness, despair, frustration, anger, like all of those things are the internal things that we feel because of the broken, fallen world. He says, listen, we will be afflicted and we will be perplexed, but we are not crushed and we are not driven to utter despair. And the second two things he mentioned are the things that happen outside of our bodies. He talks about persecution, which is what Jesus talked about in John 16. And he talks about being struck down. 
And Paul's point here is that while we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, we are not crushed, we are not driven to despair, we are not forsaken, and we are not destroyed. God has an enemy seeking to devour you and destroy you, and you feel it. You feel it in your bones, you feel it in your soul, you feel it in your emotional struggles, you see it in the world around you. And Paul says, listen, this is why we don't lose heart because even though the enemy is seeking to destroy you and there's tons of evidence that that's happening, we are not destroyed. You're still, you're still here. But not only that, in Christ with that treasure inside the jar of clay, you're here in a remarkable way. Like you can be here with joy and with peace, optimism about the future, courage, all the things that Satan would seek to devour, destroy, and to rip out of your life because of that treasure inside of you. You are not crushed or driven to despair. You are not forsaken and you are not destroyed. Now, what Paul mentions here is what happens in our life in Christ. He's describing here this light that shines out of darkness. I don't know if you caught that in those verses. He uses the words, so that. So in verse seven, he says, so that, or to show that, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's kind of an overview, right? If you can get your life together and on track and headed the right direction, if you can figure out how to overcome the world in your own strength, guess what? You're showing the rest of the world how powerful you are. He says, that's not how it works, is it? Regardless of how intelligent you are, how strong you are, how courageous you are, how, how compassionate you are, like in your own strength, you are gonna fail. But in Christ, when, when, whenever we aren't destroyed, when we aren't forsaken, what happens is that it displays to the rest of the world where the power comes from. The power belongs to who? To God. Now what he's gonna do is he's gonna drill down into that idea in a very specific way, because he says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. What he's saying is that there's something about the way that we suffer, the, the hardships that we go through, that is a reflection of the sufferings of Christ. You and I are always carrying around the death of Jesus in us. Now, the suffering you encounter will never equate to the suffering of Christ. You and I can never suffer to the fullness of Christ's suffering. Even if you go through the physical suffering he endured, right? The emotional suffering you and I can experience. Why? Because it's connected to his love for us and we don't love each other that way. Are you with me? And so there's this idea that not only did Christ physically suffer for our sake, but emotionally he was suffering. Think about what he said on the cross. My God, my God, why do you forsake me? Why have you stricken me in this way? He's feeling that torment, that inner perplexity and torment of suffering on a level you and I will never be able to relate to. However, what Paul is saying is that in a small way, a drop in the bucket kind of way, when you suffer, you're partaking in the sufferings of Christ. You think about that. It's part of your ability to get to know the Savior in an intimate way. So when I suffer in a small way, Whatever that suffering is, right? I know I'm just, I'm just tasting a drop in the bucket of the sufferings of Christ for me. But that's not all that he says here. So not only is 
my body carrying around the death of Jesus, look what he says, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The word manifested means to be revealed, to, to be made visible. Something invisible or unseen is made visible. And that's gonna come up in, in, later on in this passage. So when you and I in Christ with treasures in our jars of clay, when we suffer in a certain way, it reveals or manifests something. Go back to how we, where we started. It's like a light shining out of the darkness. You see that connection? And so what are we manifesting? What are we making visible to the world? And he says it, it's the life of Jesus. He says it again in 10, for we who live are, or 11, excuse me, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that in the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When you are struck down, whatever it is, whatever suffering you encounter, but not destroyed, you are a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus. Think about that. When you and I experience peace, joy, in the midst of our suffering, what you and I are reflecting in a small way is the resurrection of Jesus. Think about that. Jesus at the cross was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, but not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, and not destroyed. That's the death and the resurrection. The resurrection is the overcoming of death. Take heart, you're gonna have suffering in this world, but take heart, why? Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the fallenness, I've overcome the darkness, I've overcome the suffering. You see that? How Jesus was crushed, broken, but at the resurrection, he stood victoriously. And you and I have that resurrection inside of us. That's part of the treasure, is the power of the resurrection. So, when you see or someone who is in Christ suffering or they see you, doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It just means that in you is a small reflection of the resurrection of Jesus. And you and I carry around not just the suffering, but also the life of Christ. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what was or has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. This is a, just kind of a small phrase that encompasses the idea that we hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, and upon receiving the mercy and the grace of God, our hearts are compelled to do what? To talk about it. Like, have you been there where God does something in your life? He shows you something. You're like, I just want to tell somebody about this. I want to show somebody. I want to tell somebody. I read something in the Bible today. God did a work in my life today. I want to tell somebody. That's what's being compassed here in that phrase. You hear, you believe, and so you want to talk about it. So something about what God's doing in your life in the midst of suffering is not just about what he's doing in your life. It's also about what he wants to do in others as well but he starts here, reminds us that we have this same spirit of faith. This is so important, listen to me. I don't know everybody here and I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but I'm gonna tell you something. The only way to have a relationship with God is by faith. And there's no other means by which you can be made right, 
have a relationship with God. There's no other means by which you get this treasure that's been deposited in the jar of clay. It is by faith and faith alone. And maybe you're here today and like you've been trying to work your way into heaven, work your way into God's favor. Maybe you hope to come today to take some mental notes on what church people look like so you could go be a church person so that God would like you. Hey, listen, it doesn't work that way. Any person in this room who has the treasure in the jar of clay received that treasure by faith, by hearing the gospel, what Jesus had done for them and believing it. That's where our treasure comes from. If it comes from anywhere else, the power is from somewhere else. But God says, tell you what, I'll handle the power part, you handle the faith part. Believe, and you will be saved. So Paul reminds us of that. And then in the end, in verse of this particular section, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now Paul's looking at the future, at what is to come. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The book of Revelation can be incredibly confusing, but one of the things that is not confusing about the book of Revelation is that you and I, as human beings saved by God, will be ushered into this amazing worship arena. And in the end, the main thing we will do is sing together and worship together and enjoy the presence of God together. Like, go to the book of Revelation. For all that is hard to understand, the parts that are easy are when the nations gather together and sing with one voice, just like we sing, worthy is the lamb, worthy is he who was slain, to receive blessing and honor and glory forever. And so Paul says, you know how that praise increases? It's even happening through your suffering. As you suffer in Christ, your your heart, your life is just shining like this small light out of the darkness and people are seeing a reflection of what? The resurrection. And as you have heard and you believe, now you are so compelled to what? To tell other people about it. Listen, I know things are hard right now. I know it's hard to know what to do at the next election, what to do with mass, what to do with protests. Like it's hard to really know because why? The data and the information just seems to be shifting, moving. It's hard to know for sure, isn't it? When, when, when it's hard to know the facts, it's hard to have a good conclusion that you can rest in. And God says what? Don't rest in your conclusions. Don't rest in a world that is, we're going to read in just a minute, transient, always moving. You've got to find your rest somewhere else. You've got to hang your hat on something that doesn't move. And so we get to verse 16. Once again, so we do not lose heart. Why? Because you're going to be tempted to lose heart every day. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction. That is not the way that I would describe the world we live in. It's not the way I would describe the events of 2020. It's not the way I would describe my three-year-old niece's cancer. Light and momentary. So what is Paul looking at, thinking about, meditating on that would cause him to describe the suffering? I mean, let's just face it. 
Like, that's not the way we would think about the news, news headlines I just read. But something, Paul has something on his mind that's causing him to look at the suffering in this world and say, you know how I would describe it? Light and momentary. Look at what he says. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's focused on what is to come. He's reminding us as Christ's followers, don't look for your hope in this world. Why? Because the world is hopeless. Like, you've got to look beyond this life to something else. If there's nothing beyond this life, then the best shot you have is eat, drink, and be merry. And, and try to get all that done before you turn 50. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. If you live to be 80, 90 years old, those last 10, 20 years are hard. If you're not there, you may have parents who are there, and it's hard. So your best shot at being happy in the fallen world, if there isn't something to come, is make the best of your youth. You and I are going, ha ha, that's already done. Now what? Paul says, listen, don't look for your hope in this light momentary affliction. You've got to look somewhere else. Verse 18, as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're always moving, shifting sand. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, it's kind of heavy, isn't it? <laughs> But I think it's so important that we wrap up our series this way because just because we went through a sermon series does not mean that there's no more darkness. You, you with me? Like the point of the sermon series wasn't, you know, 10 steps on how to get rid of the darkness. There's only one step, right? And that is to place your faith in Jesus. Upon doing that, he deposits in you this treasure that will reflect and shine out of your life like a light out of the darkness and cause you to put your hope on something better, something that is to come. It will allow you, if not cause you, to look beyond this light and momentary reflection to things that are unseen. And so this is where we place our trust in how we do not lose heart. It's the light of the gospel in you that illuminates these things that are not seen. It's the light of the gospel in you that illuminates the power of God, that radiates this idea that there's nothing good in me, I'm just a jar of clay, but there's something good in me, and it's God. It's the light of the gospel in you that radiates and illuminates this, this life and resurrection of Jesus, that you can have abundant life in the midst of this broken, fallen life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So I wanna leave you with these thoughts as we get ready to listen to another testimony from one of our families. I'm really thankful. If you know um, Aaron and Andrea Knott, uh, the little girl Adeline, um, they're just gonna courageously share their story with you, a very difficult story of, of suffering and hardship that was unexpected. Um, and, uh, and so I'm thankful that they were willing to do that. But in their story, I want you to think about what we've talked about today. I want you to look for the evidence of the resurrection, even in what they share about the difficult season that they went through. So I wanna pray with you this morning. I wanna pray for you 
There may be somebody here who's like, you know what? I don't have that treasure. I don't have that. How do I get that? And so today I want you to know that it is yours by faith alone in Christ alone. That he alone would be your treasure in this world. By placing your trust in him, he says this to you as a promise. I'll forgive you of your sins. I will reconcile you in relationship to me. I'll redeem all that was intended for harm against you. I'll redeem it and turn it into good. And more than that, I will give you the hope of eternal life where you will receive a resurrected body that can't contract cancer, that can't contract coronavirus, that isn't susceptible to fear and anxiety and depression and shame and all those things that you experience right now. And that's yours by faith in Jesus. I'm gonna pray for you and then we're gonna listen to uh, the story of what God has been doing in the Knott family. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this treasure that we have in Jesus. And we recognize more and more what a gift of mercy it is to us, God. Today, you've reminded us that apart from your power working in us, Father, we are but jars of clay, destined to be broken, to be useless, to be tossed aside. But Father, by our faith in Jesus, you've deposited a treasure in us And while the outer self is wasting away, there's an inner self that's being renewed, being made alive day by day. So Father, now as we listen to what you've done in Aaron and Andrea and Adeline's life, may we think about our own life and our own suffering and our own hardships in a way, God, that we, like Paul, would not lose heart. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Aaron Knott, and this is my wife, Andrea, and our uh, two-year-old daughter, Adeline. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I've been attending Solid Rock for about six years now. When, around the time we got engaged, I started coming to Solid Rock, and that's been about four and a half years. So about a year after we were married, uh, we found out that I was pregnant with our daughter, which is now Adeline. I actually found out on my birthday that I was pregnant with her and told Erin. Pregnancy went great, had no complications. Um, Water broke early one morning, um, actually on her due date. And we made our way to the hospital, had a wonderful delivery, um, healthy baby girl. And then um, shortly after I delivered Adeline, we were waiting to go to the postpartum room and Aaron... Things took a downward spiral from there. Um, I've never really experienced problems with anxiety in my life and I thought I knew what I was gonna, what it was gonna be like to, to be a father. Um, but for whatever reason, about 30 minutes to an hour, somewhere in there, after Adeline was born, I just had a, just a huge panic attack and um, I, I basically became useless. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really walk anywhere. Um, they actually had a wheelchair me to the, to the postpartum unit and um, that entire night, Adeline was born around midnight and so that entire night I was, um, I wasn't able to do anything as a father um, and so it was all, it was all Andrea and um, family in the hospital staff taking care of, taking care of Adeline. So the first few days in the hospital, I was just determined to get out of there. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be home in our safe place, surrounded by friends and family and our support group. And so after we were discharged, we came home 
Um, and then Aaron was changing a diaper that night and he had another anxiety attack. Um, and so I just told him, hey, um, I love you, but go take care of yourself, get you better because I need you to help me. And so that night I was alone, it was our first night home and I was by myself with Adeline. And I just remember being so overwhelmed. I'm a pediatric nurse, so I know how to take care of kids. I know how to take care of babies. But I've never experienced taking care of my own. And so, fortunately, our family was in town. Aaron's parents were staying with us. So I knocked on their door at midnight and asked my mother-in-law just to help me. And um, she, was, she was more than happy to. Um, the next couple days were kind of a blur. Um, I didn't get much sleep. I, um, I was very anxious. I was worried something was going to happen to Adeline. Um, I I didn't sleep. I, I didn't sleep for close to five days. It was so um, And we had made multiple attempts with our doctors. I, I felt like something was wrong. Something inside of me was telling me something was going on. Um, and so I guess this was Thursday. We had her on Sunday, Thursday morning. I woke up, woke up, got up out of bed and told Aaron that we needed to go to the emergency room. We... We went to the emergency department, um, saw the staff, the social worker, and um, they, they suspected she had postpartum depression. And so they sent us home with medication um, and told me to get some sleep. And so we came home. And then the next morning was when things took a turn for the worst. Um, I was no longer in control of my thoughts and actions and I started having auditory and visual hallucinations. Um, I woke up in the morning and grabbed Adeline and took her outside. And I just remember praying that God would take care of us because I didn't know what to do. And so I came in and woke Aaron up and we made some phone calls um, and ended up calling Jason and he came over, dropped everything. It was probably five o'clock in the morning. He dropped, woke up, dropped everything that he had planned for that day, came over and um, convinced me that I needed to go back to the emergency room. And so we went there that day and um, it was determined that I was not in a state to be able to go back home and I was admitted to a inpatient psychiatric unit um, for five days whenever I had a less than one week old at home. So there was really no contact except for uh, visiting hours, which me and her sister would, would go and visit her every day. And um, all we could do to remind her of Adeline would just tell stories and, and bring pictures we would we would take every day. Um, and so that's really all, all Andrea got to experience as a new mother for, for, you know, part of those first two weeks. I think God knew that the journey was going to be hard and in this life we're not promised for things to be perfect and there's going to be suffering we live in a broken world and when you think of birthing and bringing your child home you have this beautiful picture painted of what you think it's going to go like and you know your child's gonna you're gonna have this instant bond and 
your child's gonna sleep through the night and it's gonna be great and there's gonna be sunshine and rainbows and while having a new life and bringing that into this world is amazing and wonderful when God talks about our sufferings in childbirth. I strongly believe that it's not only the physical suffering, but sometimes there's mental suffering that goes along with that too. And our world doesn't talk about that because there's so much shame that comes with mental health and um, mental health diagnosis. Fortunately, we were surrounded by family that loves us, um, not only our biological family, but our church family. Um, when I was inpatient in the hospital, I didn't have to worry about my family being taken care of because I knew that my church family would take care of them. And I was, I came home and we had meals for, I don't know how long we had meals for, but it was few months. for a long time. And I didn't have to think about that while, while it was healing both, both physically and emotionally. And I'm so grateful for that. As a church, we need to go out and do that for other people. Um, to not only help our church family, like the people that come to our church physically, but those in our community, the people that you work with. Um, reach out to them, see if there's something that they need, if, if you can help them in any way. Um, that's the church. It, it wasn't just the, the bringing of meals and, and helping out, um, washing out a line from the church that was helpful. It was just the little, it was the little things too. Um, one of our community members offered to, I, I was taking lots of walks at that time because I was there was just so much going through my head and so much anxiety and it was just, it was just um, uh, therapeutic to go out and, and take walks outside and, and just process everything. And um, he would offer to go walk to me, talk things out. The, the space at that time to really, I was just kind of in survival mode, but um, just then being there for, for that was um, pretty big for me too. And knowing that they continue to support us, you know, this um, after having Adeline and going through the acute diagnosis of postpartum psychosis, um, and to be able to share that with my community group openly and for them to accept me and love me and check on me um, with that diagnosis um, is just really meaningful. I just think remembering that God's always there, that he never leaves your side, um, even when things seem so dark or if everything's been taken away from you, he's there and he's sovereign. Um, he there's going to be suffering in this world, um, and that suffering molds us and makes us into who we are. If I hadn't have gone through everything that I went through with Adeline, and if Aaron hadn't have gone through everything um, he went through, you know, after having Adeline, I don't think we would be the people we are today. I spend more time in worship, I spend more time in prayer. There may be setbacks, there may be, you know, things that happen that we wish wouldn't have happened, but God's always there.